0: Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. So, if I don't know you yet, my name is Graham, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Um, And it's good to be with you guys here today, Uh, and I'm really excited that we can gather together and look at what God's Word has for us today. So, um, I want to begin by just sharing a little bit of a story for you. Um, So, a couple weeks ago, uh, it was back-to-school week, right? How many of you guys are in school right now? One person. Two people. Three people. Okay. I was like, if no one's in school this is going to totally bomb. Um, but yeah we have a few people in school but we've all been to school so you guys can uh, probably all relate. So um, I had my first class on a Wednesday afternoon and, um, and I arrived at school and, and I, as I arrived I needed to go get a book uh, from one of my classes. Uh, I had to go to the bookstore, I had to go before one of my classes um, because if I didn't get it then, then I would have had to go, on, ha- I would have had to, go to the bookstore on my day off, and I didn't really want to do it because the bookstore was kind of far away. So anyway, I wanted to get the book right then. So um, I was running a little bit behind, but I had a few minutes to go until my class started. And so I ran to the bookstore, and I got there. And as soon as I got in, all I see is this huge line of students waiting to get their books too, right? Um, But I really needed that book, and because I had already run all the way to the bookstore, I just committed to getting it. and so. I got to the front of the line, and my book, the book that I was supposed to get, it was behind the cashier's counter. And so I said, hey, I'm looking for this book. It's supposed to be behind the counter. And the cashier, he's like, yeah, I don't really know what you're talking about. And I was like, he's like, all the books are are in the bookstore. And I was like, no, but there's certain books that are back here, and mine is supposed to be back here too. So he's like, no, I'm sorry. I don't know. He's like, you'll have to wait for this other cashier. Um, So I wait for her. And she, fortunately for me, she knows what I'm talking about and so I finally get my book and I rush off to class. And at this point, I'm like 15 or 20 minutes late for class, um, but what I thought was I was like, you know, I'm just going to like quietly slip into class and I'm sure it'll be all right. And so I get to class, I slowly open the door, and as I open the door, the entire class stops. And even the teacher, a- and everyone just stops and they look at me. And the teacher, she stops lecturing and she's like, can I help you? Uh, and I was like, I, I actually had to stop for a minute because I had recognized the teacher that was in the class, but I was not supposed to recognize the teacher. Um, and she says, she's like, are you here for the sexuality class? And I was like, no, I'm not. Um, and I was super embarrassed because I realized that I was in the wrong class. So I was like, "Um, I'm sorry, I think I have the wrong class. And she was like, oh, okay, well actually, there had been uh, a change of classrooms. Like there was another class that was supposed to meet here um, and it's not now, it's meeting somewhere else now. She's like, are you looking for that class? And I was like, not even looking for that class. Like (laughs) I just had completely gone to the wrong classroom. And and I just felt really embarrassed and so I, I left And I I went to my classroom, which was on the other side of the campus, and I showed up 30 minutes late. And uh, so my arrival to the new school year um, was kind of humbling, right? I I was kind of of humbled as I entered into that class. And so all of that to say, uh, today we're talking about uh, another humble arrival, and that is by Jesus except. Uh, Jesus' humble arrival wasn't imposed on him as it was with me, but it was his choice to arrive in humility. And so as we go, uh, we're going to be exploring that a little bit more today as we go through our text for today. Um, if you are new here, we as a church have been going through a series in a book of the Bible called Mark. And we've called this series Follow Jesus because in it what we see are lives transformed As people begin to follow Jesus and so we're exploring practical ways of how we as individuals as well as the church can follow Jesus with our lives so we're gonna be in Mark chapter 11 for today and so I would invite you to turn there in your Bibles with me Uh, Mark chapter 11 is where we're gonna be it will also be on the screen um, and if you're not sure where to find it, you can feel free to use the table of contents in your Bible, um, or you can ask someone sitting near, near you um, how to find it. And if you don't own a Bible, you can feel free to uh, take one of the ones on the seats, or uh, actually we have a table in the back that has Bibles on them, and you can take one of those, and you can keep that. That's our gift to you. So um, again, Mark chapter 11 is where we're going to be for today. Um, today, we're just going to read the first 19 verses. There's a little bit more in there uh, that we're not going to address, but if you would like to explore that a little bit more, then I would just recommend getting uh, connected with a community group or with a discipleship group. Uh, those are places that we have here where you can explore a little bit deeper God's Word. So, um, as we go out today, the main thing that I want us to see from our text is that following Jesus means expecting him to save so that we can live for his kingdom. So following Jesus means expecting him to save so that we can live for his kingdom. So I just want to pray uh, to begin, and then we are going to dive into our text. Um, Father, we thank you that we can be here and to look at your word, and that we can have a relationship with you, um, God, because you came to save, um, and you didn't just save us so that we would... um, be free from our sin, that that is part of it, but you saved us so that we could live for your kingdom. Um, Help us to love what you have done for us and live in light of that, and help us to live for your glory and for your kingdom. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So let's read our text for today. Mark 11, starting in verse 1, says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage, at the Mount of Olives... Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And so uh, this story, it may be familiar to some of you. Um, as we just read, this is Jesus as he's entering Jerusalem for uh, the Passover festival. And so uh, you may often hear this on Palm Sunday, which is one week before Easter, And this event happens about five days before Jesus' death. So what we're beginning to see is the end of the life of Jesus. So as he enters Jerusalem, this can kind of act as a marker to show us that Jesus is going to die soon because this is the place where he would be killed. And so we get this tension um, as he arrives that should make us think, like, what is Jesus really here to do, right? And, And what are his last days on earth going to look like. And so that's what we're going to explore today and going forward with our series. So um, there are a couple of things that I want us to explore from our passage today. So if you are someone who likes to take notes like I am, um, then this is something I would encourage you to write down. Um, And so what we're going to see are two contrasting expectations, So two contrasting expectations. And the first is this it's, it is what kind of king were jesus 's followers expecting versus what kind of king arrived? so what kind of king were Jesus followers expecting versus what kind of king arrived? and the second is what was Jesus expecting versus what he arrived to? so what was Jesus expecting versus what he arrived to um, and in all of that. Um, what I want us to see is that following Jesus means expecting him to save so that we can live for his kingdom. So um, let's take a look at our first question. So what kind of king were Jesus's followers expecting? So what we've been walking through so far in Mark Um, has been the ministry of Jesus on earth. So we've been seeing the miracles he's performed as well as the teachings that he's taught. And as we've been going, what we've been seeing is that this is attracting a lot of people who are beginning to follow Jesus, um, kind of throughout all the little towns that he goes. And so last chapter, in chapter 10, um, there's an account of Jesus healing a blind man. And it mentions that this happens as he's leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. So basically, people from all over the place are witnessing the power of Jesus at work and they're following him as he goes about his ministry. And so if we look back at our text today, Jesus, he enters Jerusalem with this great crowd. And what we hear are his followers uh, and what they're shouting. They're shouting, Hosanna, they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna!" in the highest. So from this we see two things that they were expecting of Jesus as he entered Jerusalem. First, uh, they were expecting a king. and so They believed that Jesus was going to bring about a revolution and be anointed king of the Jewish people in Israel. Their expectation though was that Jesus was going to bring about a political revolution and so at the time Uh, Jerusalem was occupied by the Romans and the people of Israel were subject to the rule of the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire was very oppressive towards the Jews and so the Jews they were looking and they were waiting for someone to redeem them from this. And that kind of leads us into our second expectation. Uh, The second thing that they were expecting was uh, first they were expecting a king and the second they were expecting that that king would bring salvation. So they were expecting to be saved from the Romans so that they could have their land back and that they would be able to live in peace. And so as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, they're shouting this word, Hosanna. Hosanna. And that, that word, it literally means save or save us. Um, it's kind of like, like they were expecting it already. They were saying basically save us or he's here to save us. Um, and it's quoted from a psalm in the Old Testament, uh, which is Psalm 118, which says this. It says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And so this is what Hosanna means. It, it is, this is what the Jewish people were expecting of Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem. They were expecting that Jesus is going to save them from the Romans and establish himself as their king right there in Jerusalem. So um, the Jewish people were, number one, expecting a king to come, and two, they were expecting that king would come to bring them salvation in the form of a political revolution. So we've seen what the Jews were expecting, but now let's look at what kind of king arrived. So what kind of a king is Jesus? And we could explore uh, a number of different things from this this text about the character of Jesus. Uh, For example, we see that Jesus is all-knowing. That's one of his characteristics. We see that as he tells the disciples um, that there would be uh, a donkey in the town in front of them and they hadn't arrived there yet. So we could talk about Jesus being all-knowing or we could talk about other characteristics from the text But uh, the two main characteristics that I want us to look at from our text is that this king came humbly, and he came peacefully. He came humbly, and he came peacefully. Because this is what is different about Jesus than the king that the Jews were expecting. Jesus didn't enter Jerusalem as the king who would... Sorry, Jesus entered Jerusalem as the king who would save, but he did it in a very different way than what was expected of him. So Jesus, he arrives to Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, This is actually a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in the book of Zechariah. And so if we look at Zechariah 9.9, what it says is, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." So this is Jesus fulfilling this prophecy. He comes to Jerusalem, righteous, bringing salvation, and he arrives humble and on a donkey. Now, contrary to what we probably think, um, a donkey is, is in those days would, uh, was, seen, it was seen a lot different than what we would see them now. So I'll give you an example here. Um, in April of this year, a few of us from the church Um, We went to North Africa to serve uh, the people there and to share the gospel there. And I remember everywhere that we went there was donkeys, like literally everywhere. Um, And one of the days, I remember we we went up to a local market and there was these two donkeys that were tied up right next to one another. Um, But they were tied like just far apart from one another that they couldn't reach each other. Um, but just by like a couple of inches, right? Like their faces were like right here. Um, And I don't know if like what kind of beef that they had with one another, if like someone, one of the donkeys dissed the other donkey's mom or something, Um, but they were really mad at each other. Um, And they kept trying to get closer to the other, but of course they couldn't because they were tied down, uh, and they were just like braying at one another right in each other's faces like as loud as they could. And um, I remember James and I and and Ben we were walking by and we just looked at and we were like These are the dumbest animals on God's earth. Like these animals are so loud and so stupid Like they cannot get at each other, but they're trying so hard and they're just yelling at each other's face Um, But this is kind of the idea that we have of donkeys, right? They're kind of dumb and you know rightfully so we should think that Um, But that wasn't the case in Jesus's time, right? In Jesus's time Um, donkeys were actually seen as an animal of peace. Because um, if you were going to start a political revolution you probably wouldn't ride into town on a donkey. You would probably arrive on war horses uh, and perhaps with an army. And So Jesus riding in on a donkey uh, symbolized that he did not come about to bring a political revolution but rather he came to bring peace. We also see of, of Jesus' humble entry in the type of donkey that he chose. So in verse 2, he tells the disciples, he says, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. And uh, this week I was reading a commentator named Matthew Henry. and What he writes, he says that we can expect that because no one had ever sat on this donkey that it, wasn't, that it was rude and ungovernable, meaning that it wasn't an animal that was trained for uh, to have people ride on it, right? So we might assume that the donkey that Jesus chose was rather stubborn. So he's not picking the cream of the crop here. He's choosing the stubborn mule that no one has ever rode on. And it shows his humility, but it also shows his dominion over this creature, that he has the power and authority over even the uncontrollable animals. Uh, We're also pointing to Jesus' humility when it tells us that the donkey that he rode was covered with their cloaks. And this is opposed to uh, rich cloths that a royal king might use to throw over the the top of the animal. And so, unlike my entry into class, which was very humbling, Jesus' humble entry was how he chose to come. He came peacefully and humbly to show the people what kind of king that he was. So we see that Jesus is the king that came humbly and peacefully. But what did Jesus come to do? If Jesus was not here to start a political revolution, then why did he come? Well, the people were right in expecting that he would come to save. However, as we mentioned, how he saved them was not exactly what they were expecting. Where they were expecting salvation from the Romans... Jesus came to bring salvation of a different kind. Jesus came to bring salvation from sin. And we see how he did this when we look at the cross. And so this is a passage that we're going to cover in a a few weeks, but I want us to look briefly at how Mark describes the death of Jesus. This is from Mark 15, and it'll be on the screen. Starting in verse 25, it says, and it was the third hour of When they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself let the Christ the king of Israel come down from the cross that we may see and believe those who were crucified with him also reviled him so Jesus he died on the cross and he was buried and then three days later he rose from the dead proving that not even death could hold him and his death on the cross shows us that he came to save us not from an oppressive government or an unfortunate situation that we may be in, but Jesus came to save us from our sin. Because it is our sin that brings death and destruction and causes separation between us and a righteous God. But Jesus came so that we might be saved from our sin, and that happens as we put our faith in him and in his righteousness. We see that this was his mission even before he was born. So in the first chapter of Matthew, an angel appears to Joseph and he and he says Joseph son of David do not fear to take Mary as your wife for for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and he says she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins so Jesus's mission was always to save us from our sins but if we left it there then I think we would be left without a purpose When we put our faith in Jesus, we are saved from our sins, but what are we saved to? What do we do now? Well, let's look at what the people are shouting as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. So what do they say? They say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. So yes, we are saved from our sins, but we are saved from our sins so that we can live for the kingdom of God. Jesus came to save us from our sins so that we could live for his kingdom, so that we could follow him, and so that we could enjoy him as he dwells in and with us. So to live for his kingdom, it means that we are now able to live according to God's rule and not our own. So following Jesus means expecting him to save so that we can live for his kingdom. So we've seen uh, what, kind of, uh, what kind of king Jesus' followers were expecting versus what kind of king uh, actually arrived. And now let's look at what Jesus was expecting versus what he arrived to. So what was Jesus expecting? And for this, I want us to look at the story of the fig tree and Jesus entering the temple. And I want us to see how these two stories are connected with one another Um, So the first place we see that Jesus goes to when he arrives, he goes to the temple, right? And the temple in the Old Testament was the place where God dwelled. It was kind of like his home. And symbolically speaking, this is where God reigned and he ruled from. And if the temple is where God ruled, then you expect that this is where humans would be submitting to God's rule, right? This should be where the kingdom of God was most prominent, where humans are subject to God's reign as king. This is what, we, what should be expected of the temple and of God's people. However, what did Jesus arrive to? So Jesus, he arrives at, at, to the temple at night, and it's late, and so he says, he says, let's go back to Bethany. And so the next day, Jesus and his disciples, they go back to the temple, and on their way, they see this fig tree. Right, We get the fig tree story here. And he says that Jesus was hungry. And from a distance, he sees a fig tree in leaf. Um, something I found out this week uh, was that if, if a fig tree has leaves, then it also should have figs on it. I didn't know that about fig trees. Now I do. Now you do. Um, but as, so as he comes up to the, the, the tree that has no figs on it, um, And he's hungry and so he curses the tree and they go on their way to the temple similarly they arrive at the temple and as they arrive jesus sees that the place that should look most like the kingdom of god has been turned into somewhat of a gimmicky marketplace or a tourist attraction where people are uh, there's vendors everywhere and people are buying and selling it says that there were people who were selling pigeons, uh, which, according to the Old Testament law, was what you would sacrifice basically if you had nothing else to give and if, or if you couldn't afford anything. So these people are profiting off of the poor and have turned the temple into this sideshow. And Jesus says, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And so he begins to overturn their tables, and he drives the people who are buying and selling out of the temple. So here's the point of all that. Just like the fig tree, the temple wasn't functioning as it should. From a distance, it looked fruitful. But at a closer look, neither the fig tree nor the temple were producing fruit as it ought to. How it should have been functioning was not how it actually was functioning, and what it was expected to do was not what it was doing. So Jesus came expecting fruit and was met with a broken people and a broken temple. And so as we look at the bigger picture, what, what we see is that Jesus and his followers didn't get exactly what they were expecting. The difference, though, is that God's people got far better than what they expected, and Jesus got far worse than what he deserved. God's people were expecting a king that would save them from this oppressive government. What they got, though, was a king that saved them from sin and from death. Jesus, on the other hand, he did nothing to deserve death, yet on the cross he took on the sins of the world, yours and mine, so that we might be reconciled to him and to live for. His kingdom and so what does all of this mean for us well if you are here and you are not a Christian if you would say yeah I'm not really a follower of Christ um, let me ask you to consider this because the good news that we have as Christians is that Jesus came to save us from our sin and he did so not that we would just continue to stay in our sin but that we would make him The king of our lives and live for his kingdom not our own the bible says that when we put our faith in him meaning that we trust that there's nothing else that we can add to what he's already done on our behalf that he gives us his spirit so god's spirit dwells in those who put their faith in him just like it did in the temple The Bible basically describes uh, followers of Jesus as these many temples where he rules and reigns and dwells with us. And that power has the ability to transform our lives so that we look more and more like Jesus, the humble, peaceful King. If you want to um, discuss that further, uh, I would love to talk to you further about that. Um, You can talk to me or James or whoever brought you here. And if you're here and you are a follower of Christ, know that Jesus came to save us from our sin, whether that be past, present, or future, so that we can live for his kingdom. You don't have to live in sin anymore. Jesus defeated it on the cross, and God's spirit lives in us, which is why we can live for his kingdom. So as I close, I want to ask you, how do you need to respond to this? Are you living for God's kingdom or are you living for your own? Are you trying to break out of your sin on your own or do you say, Jesus, save me. Save me from my own sin. Help me to depend on you and live for your kingdom, not because I deserve it, but because you have given me far more than I deserve. Let's pray.